our scripture this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, would you turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. If you don't have your Bibles with you and you want to follow along in an actual Bible, they're there in the pews in front of you. And the words will also be up here on the screen that we will be reading. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. It says this, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. And for this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. And I am telling the truth, I am not lying, and a true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles. Thank you, Pastor Steve. So um, there was a time when it was cool to bleach the tips of your hair. There was a time when I had more hair. But there was also a time when it was cool to bleach the tips of your hair, uh, as well as wear an earring in, the left, in, your left, in your left ear. At that time, I was pretty cool, because I did those things. I'm gonna tell you a story about when I had bleached tip hair and an earring in my left ear, but I'm gonna warn you, it gets a little bit weird. So just bear with me. So I'm sitting in an airport, bleach-tipped hair, earring in my left ear, in Cape Town, South Africa, of all places. And I'm sitting there, and I'm waiting for my plane to be ready to board, and I notice that there's a couple that's sitting across from me. And we were sort of in in close quarters, and uh, I was thinking to myself, you know, I should introduce myself to them, because I noticed that they had, as they were talking with one another, they had American accents. Um, But I never had a chance to introduce myself to them because as they were having a conversation together, their voices got louder and louder and their conversation turned into an argument. And here they are having this loud argument in the, the waiting area for our plane and there I am sitting there right close to them. So my first impulse was to be embarrassed. First of all, that I didn't want to be associated with them. And second of all, I was an American too. I didn't want to be associated with that either. You know, the whole loud American thing in different countries. So I put my hood over my head and I, 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 I just crouched down and I just pretended that I wasn't hearing what I was hearing. But it began to escalate more and more. So finally, this, the guy stands up and he shouts in the middle of the airport. He shouts, do you want a divorce? Is that what you want? And he storms off. Well, before he said this, my heart started pounding. And my sort of demeanor had changed because first I just wanted to not have anything to do with them. But my heart started pounding and it was like pounding, like I didn't know what was happening to me. But suddenly it was so strong that I began to take notice and I said, okay, God. (laughs) And I just knew that I was supposed to intervene. So after this guy storms off, I finally draw up enough courage to go and talk to him. So I approached him and I said, look, 
hey, I'm, I'm, my name's Eric. I'm sorry that I, I couldn't help but overhearing. And, um, you know, obviously I'm, I'm American too. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a Christian. And I just, I don't know, I, I feel like I should tell you something. And I just want to say, don't give up on your marriage. And I braced myself for a right cross. <laughs> but that's not what happened. His demeanor changed. He kind of, he softened and his voice even got softer. And then the strangest thing, he just started letting out his life story to me as if I was his lifelong friend. <laughs> he began to share all kinds of things and eventually he got to his marriage and why he's so frustrated with his marriage. Now keep in mind, I'm in my early 20s. I got bleach tipped hair and an earring in my left ear. I don't know what he's talking about. I have no clue what the kinds of things he's addressing, but I was being a good listener. Uh, we got to talking, I kind of shared my story at that time. I was kind of going back and forth as to whether or not God was calling me into to be a pastor. And um, he, eventually he introduced me to his wife. Now this is a fun fact. Uh, his wife happened to be a 90s house music vocalist. You know, house music? Remember that? Mid-90s? No? <laughs> she was a vocalist for a famous group, and she was trying to resurrect her career uh, in Europe, and she had just got done shooting a music video uh, in Cape Town, South Africa. That's why they were there, and they gave me a CD. It was great. Um, so anyways, we're, we're on our way. Our flight goes to uh, Switzerland, and I'm making my way back to the States, but they were heading back to Europe. And so we started talking. We were walking together uh, in the airport in Switzerland and just kind of going back and forth. And his wife uh, says, you know, uh, in the, Eric, in, in, in the course of your sort of studies and kind of discovering if you want to be a pastor or not, I wonder... Is there any sort of wisdom or sort of tips that you've gained from, oh, I don't know, marriage? <laughs> and I thought, oh, no. I mean, here I am. I know nothing about marriage. The only thing that came to my mind in that moment, and this is a total God thing, the only thing that came to my mind in that moment was two years prior, I was working a summer job at the local country club on the golf course on the maintenance staff. And I was outside listening to my little Walkman radio, remember those? Listening to my Walkman radio, and I was listening to Christian music, and I heard there was a commercial, there was an advertisement, there was a local speaker that was coming into town by the name of Tony Evans, and he was gonna be preaching, talking about marriage. And they showed, they, they did a little blip, a little... A clip of his audio of, of one of his messages. And he said this, he said, don't ask if the marriage will work. Ask, will you work the marriage? How I remembered that and recalled that in that moment, I have no clue. That was just a part of a commercial I was listening on some random day, but it just came to my mind. And so I said, well, you know, been told to me, don't ask, will the marriage work, but will you work the marriage? And their mouths gaped open. Wow. And I'm like, whoa, what just happened? And somehow at that season of my life, God, God used me for, for that purpose. We all know how this works. Sometimes 
in our own human relationships, we struggle, we become distanced, we become estranged, we have a hard time reaching one another, connecting, communicating with one another. Sometimes we end up talking past one another. And we need someone to kind of stand in that gap. We need someone to kind of intervene, to bridge some of those, maybe take down some of those dividing walls and, and bridge some of those things. In all aspects of, of business, of politics, our personal relationships, we need people to intervene. In the Old Testament, there's a story about a guy named Job. You might have heard of him. And Job had everything going for him. He had the favor of God. He was the epitome of success. He was in a very good place. And in one fell swoop, it was all taken away from him. He lost his home, his livelihood. He lost his family. He was all alone. And he was near death himself with a crippling illness. This is the book, it's a book of wisdom. And in this book, we might have heard this phrase, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away, or the Lord gives and the Lord takes, us, takes away. And it's this grand message that we as humanity, we as human beings, we stand in great need. That ultimately, even though we feel like we're in control of some things, ultimately we are not in control. When Job was facing all of these difficulties, he had three friends. You might know this story. And three friends, they were really nice at first, really sympathetic, encouraging, and all of those things. But then they felt the need to kind of explain some things to, to Job. Because the prevailing thought in that day was that if you were experiencing good things, you were good times, you were on the mountaintop, then that was God's favor upon you as a reward for the things that you're doing. And then adversely, if you were experiencing calamity or hardship or, or suffering, that was also as a direct result of God's punishment towards you because you have sinned or you, you're not on the right track. And so because Job was facing all this calamity in his life, his friends just truly believed that it was because he did something wrong or did something to offend God. It's because he sinned. And so the whole book just goes back and forth, these monologues where his friends are trying to convince him, look, Job, you did something. You got to figure it out. And Job's like, look, I thought about it. I prayed about it. I can't find anything. I don't know what else to say. Well, in about chapter 32 or 33, there's this guy named Elihu. Elihu was a fourth character that comes in. He's a little bit younger, and he's just like, look, I was, I'm younger than the rest of the gang, so that's why I was keeping my mouth shut, but I'm gonna say something now. And he was mad. He was mad at the three friends because they did not properly condemn Job, and he was mad at Job because Job was coming off as self-righteous. And he goes into this monologue, and he begins to describe the mortal condition like the, the human condition, that we, as human beings, we stand in great need. This is what he said. He says, mortal souls draw near the pit in their lives to those who bring death. So he's establishing that the, the mortal condition is just, is, stands in this great need. We are mortal to the core. But then he shifts and he says something and he offers sort of a hypothetical he said, then if, if there should be one of them an angel, a mediator, one of a thousand, one who declares a person upright 
and he is gracious to that person. He says, deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. Let his flesh become fresh with youth. Let him return to the days of his youthful vigor. Then he prays to God and is accepted by him. He comes into his presence with joy and God repays him for his righteousness. So in other words, we are mortal. We are human to the core. But if there would be someone to stand in that gap, if there would be a mediator, then we would come into the presence of Almighty God with joy. Now, this word in Hebrew, mediator, can mean interpreter, messenger, uh, intercessor. And it is the Hebrew version of the word mediator that we find in the scripture that was read for you in 1 Timothy chapter 2. And what we find specifically in verse 5, and you'll notice this if you read in your Bibles, you might notice uh, when we get to verse 5 in 1 Timothy chapter 2, that the text changes. The way that the text is displayed changes in your Bible from a narrative or prose form to suddenly looking much like poetry. Does anyone have that in your Bible where it shifts? Not all of them have it. It shifts into a prose or a poetry form because, um, because what is being declared or, or repeated here is a common creed that was circulated around the early churches. A creed is just that common and uniform uh, statement of belief where all of them could stand up and say, yes, we believe this. And so when we get to chapter five, Paul, the author here of this letter, he is reciting a creed that all of them in the early church knew. And the creed was this. For there is one God and one mediator between God and humankind, the man Jesus, Christ Jesus, who gave, himself as, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. So this scripture or this creed is one of the many found, founding or foundational scriptures that guides the Protestant Reformation, and that's what we've been talking about in our series called Reform. Uh, this is the 500-year anniversary of the Protestant Reformation, and through that we've been talking about the five solas, sola being only, the word only in the Latin, um, and we've been talking about those, sola scriptura, sola fide, sola gratia, today, sola, uh, Solus Christus, and then uh, Pastor Steve next week will finish it off with Soli Dea Gloria. And you might have one of the same question that I had when I started out with this whole series. You say, well, if there's five solas, then they're not really sola. <laughs> so how do they all interact? How do they engage one another? What, how does that all fit together and work? So I came up with a little bit of a, an elevator speech or maybe one way to, to kind of understand it. Um, and here is that. The scriptures alone reveal we are saved by Christ Jesus alone, with grace alone, through faith alone, for God's glory alone. There's a lot of prepositions there, but they're all really important for how they all fit together. And I want to speak today a little bit about solus Christus in Christ alone. Hold uh, Huldrych Swingley was a Swiss reformer. He said this about Solus Christus. He said, Christ is the only way to salvation for all who were, are, and ever 
shall be. And this is in keeping with Jesus' words in uh, John chapter 14, verse six, where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one shall come to the Father but through me. John Calvin is another reformer. He said it this way, as soon as you become engrafted into Christ through faith, you are made a son of God, an heir of heaven, a partaker in righteousness, a professor of life, and you obtain not the opportunity to gain merit, but all the merits of Christ, for they are communicated to you. Reformations almost always are not offering new information. They're not some entrepreneurs that figured out a way to do something in a brand that's never been discovered before. Reformations typically are a call back into that pure, into that simple and original way in which the movement had started from the beginning. And so all of the issues that are cropping up in the Middle Ages that's, that, that, that formed and that, that sent forth the, the Protestant Reformation, none of that was new. It's actually a repetition of what the early church had already dealt with. Many of you know this, but Christian or the Christian church, followers of Jesus, was really at the beginning a sect of Judaism. You see, the Jews had testified and had learned that a Messiah was coming. And so when Jesus came around, the Jews, or many of the Jews that became Christians, they believed that he was the Messiah. And so they began just worshiping Christ as the Messiah in the same way that they already knew how to do as Jewish people, as their faith had taught them. In their minds, Jesus was just the fulfillment of what of their Jewish faith. And so the DNA and the makeup of the original church was just Jewish. But something weird happened that God began to spread the gospel out into everyone. And the Gentiles, who didn't have that same background, well, they were giving their lives over in submission to Jesus Christ. And so there became, became this debate amongst the church leaders as to how to handle that. Should we make these Gentiles become Jewish before they become Christian? Or is believing and surrendering their lives to Jesus enough? And so they had sort of this debate and going back and forth, and they decided to meet about this and have a conference. And so what we have, uh, scholars call it the Jerusalem Council. We can read it in Acts chapter 15, where Paul, the leader, you know, who's starting all this church, these churches in the Roman Empire, and Peter, who was in control of the church in Jerusalem, they get together and they talk through all of those different issues. Well, Paul convinces Peter and the rest that no, we shouldn't have to bring them into all the rites and the rituals and the restrictions of what it meant to be Jewish before they come to Jesus Christ. And so Paul went off and continued to do the ministry that, that he had been doing it, but this time with the endorsement being on the same page with all the, the leaders that were in Jerusalem. Now, not everybody agreed with Paul or with the, council, the, the council's decision. And so there was a particular group of people that decided, no, this is not right. And they believed that it was not right to such an extent that they dedicated their lives to following Paul wherever he would go into every city and every church to try to dismantle everything that Paul had done in his ministry and to discredit 
uh, Paul's leadership for the cause of, of Jesus Christ. This was the, the environment that was going on, and it centered on this idea that Jesus is cool, salvation is found in Jesus, but there's these other things as, as well. Fast forward into the times of the Protestant Reformation, they would say the same thing. Jesus is cool, salvation is found in Jesus, but you know, there's these other things too that you have to participate in. And just like Pastor Steve had said um, last week, we are talking about grace, and in that day they were saying, well, it's grace plus these other things. Uh, they were saying the same thing about Jesus. Well, yeah, Jesus, we believe in Jesus, but there's these other things as well. And most of them, these are a few examples of them. One was um, that there were other mediators. One would be praying to the saints, you know, hey, put in a good word for us down here. Um, so that we uh, have good favor with God. Another one was participation in the sacraments, the rites, the rituals and, uh, that took place in the church. And others, when we've talked about this, are good works. Uh, that's what that transformer shirt guy represents. And we've talked about this throughout the series, right? That was the predominant thought, that I could earn my way into right standing before God. And each time, adding more mediation, adding more mediators into that relationship. And so here, here's one way of, of kind of illustrating this or, or, or looking at this. When God created humankind, when, when God created us, there was a perfect relationship. There was peace. There was harmony. And... Sin came into the picture and severed that relationship or create, created an estrangement in that relationship, created a distance between God and his beloved creation. And so God decided to do something about that. He sent his only son, Jesus Christ, as mediator so that we could be then reconciled back to God. That is the, the gospel. That is the, the Christian story. And that through Christ, we are then reconciled. We are now made close when we were previously distant. We are made close in relationship with God through Jesus. But if we start inserting other mediators, one after the other, what happens then is that when you squeeze in these other mediators, then distance is created once again. And so when we do that, we are undermining the very intention of God with the gospel story. It was Jesus that brought us close, and when we add more to the picture, more terms to the relationship, we then create further distance once again. When I was serving once as a pastor uh, at a church, there was a, one of our members was a CEO of a major nonprofit. And this guy was very accomplished and seemed like he had a lot of leadership gifts. And I thought, well, you know, I could really learn from this guy. So I contacted him and I said, hey, I'd love to buy you lunch and just kind of ask you some questions. And he said, oh, that'd be great. I'd love to sit down with you. We haven't had a chance to do that yet. I'm like, yeah, I know, that'd be great. I said, hey, when, when, can, I, when can I buy you lunch? 
And he said, um, I'll tell you what, why don't you go ahead and call my, my assistant and she can find a time to, to schedule you. And I guess this is how it works, you know, people very accomplished like that, they have people that schedule things for them, so I, I get all of that. But it was that one little gesture that suddenly created a little bit of distance because we, someone else had gotten, had been brought into the picture. I couldn't just talk to him about setting up lunch. I had to talk to someone else about setting up lunch, and it felt a little distant to me. The more that we add into the relationship, other than Jesus, we create further distance. When what Jesus did was enough to bring us close into that relationship. Uh, Solus Christus has, um, it's hard to swallow sometimes for, for a lot of people. And maybe you've thought this or, or talked to someone who believes, well, Christ alone or, or Jesus only, that just sounds very exclusionary and, and very narrow and even arrogant. How could you say that Jesus is the only way to God? And a part of that question, a part of that thinking, I think in my mind, has to do with a very westernized value of needing choices. Like we, we need choices, right? Have you ever been to a container store? Oh, the container store. So many choices of the same container. We want our choices. Everywhere we go, we want something to choose from. And in that, we feel like we are empowered. We feel like we are in control. And we like to have those choices. And we overlay and apply that same thinking many times to God. But there's something very particular about Jesus. There's something very unique and very particular about Jesus. This week, uh, my family and I are traveling to, to Disney World for vacation, something we're really, really excited about. 11 years ago was the only time I'd been to Disney World. I went to Disney World 11 years ago for one day. And I only went for one day because I only had one purpose. I had a ring in my pocket and I was uh, traveling down to surprise Amanda to ask her to be my wife. And she said yes. <laughs> she said yes, uh, which is amazing. And, um, and so uh, this past August, we celebrated 10 years of, of marriage. And of course, 10 years, you know, it's sort of a complete number in my own mind at least and causes you to kind of think back, oh gosh, man, we've come a long way, 10 years. And I think, wow, well, I've come a long way in, in 10 years, you know. And it's true, in, in these 10 years, I've really learned how to be a husband. I've matured, sort of. I've gotten a little bit better, right? I, I've kind of figured out this husband thing a little bit. But the truth is that I didn't just learn how to be a husband. I've learned and grown over these last 10 years of how to be Amanda's husband. And I can't take her out of that picture. The Christian witness testifies that there is one God 
And there's one particular God. In fact, the entire biblical story is centered on people trying to figure out who this God is and how we as people can be in relationship or covenant with this particular God. You see, there's a particularity of Jesus because Jesus is the perfect and best expression of a particular God. And so while I think, you know, I understand how people feel about it seeming as though it's exclusionary or narrow or even arrogant, we testify that there is a particular God and Jesus particularly was the expression of that particular God. This is why Paul in 1 Timothy, he says, there's one mediator because Jesus was and is and forever will be the best expression of this particular God. The Protestant Reformation was not just about setting the record straight about what we're saved from, but also what we're saved for, what we're saved for. This whole Jesus thing is not just about purchasing a ticket to heaven. It's about being once estranged, but now reconciled to a God who desires for all people to be saved. In fact, when I read 1 Timothy chapter 2, I don't sense anything that is exclusionary or narrow or even arrogant. Let me read it for you again. It says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. And the author Paul here of this letter is keying in on two words, all and one. So you can listen for these words. For all people, for kings and all those who are in authority, not nice people, not friendly people, that we may live peacefully, live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. One for all. There's one God and one mediator for all. For all. And so if there's anything that you hear today, my prayer is that it would be this. That God so desperately wants to have a relationship with you. This particular God that has these particular attributes and, and characteristics wants to have a relationship with you who, by the way, God has made unique and particular. God so desperately wants to have this relationship with you. Jesus explains it this way in John fifteen five. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. He is the vine, and we are the branches. We are connected. We are of the same. Uh, The founder of the Protestant Reformation, Martin Luther, he says it this way. But faith must be taught correctly, namely, 
that by it you are so cemented to Christ that he and you are as one person, which cannot be separated, but remains attached to him forever and declares, I am as Christ. My invitation for you today, as you think about what it means to have faith or what it means to have a relationship with God, Sometimes we tend to overcomplicate things and say, well, if I, I need to do this and I need to do that and I need to do this and I need to do that and we forget that all of those are just simply the expression of coming to that one mediator, Jesus Christ. And so if anything, go to Jesus. Go to Jesus. Because the Christian faith, the, the faith that we proclaim is not just about what Jesus did so that we can get our ticket. It's about who Jesus is and forever will be. You see, Christ was raised on the third day and he is alive and he's here. He is among us, he is, he is with us. So even more than what you might do would you be so cemented, as Luther said, to be able to say, I am as Jesus Christ. So draw close to Jesus. Draw close to Jesus. He is all that you need and will ever need to be close to God and to be in that relationship that God so desperately desired that he gave his only son so that we could be no longer estranged, but be brought close. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Well, Lord, give us a, a visual right now in our minds of you standing in that gap. That while you are so, while we were so far off, we are, brought, we are brought close through that one mediator, Jesus Christ. What a precious gift you have given to us out of your love, out of your grace. And though we didn't deserve it, though we've gone our, our own way and we sometimes continue to go our own way or, or add other steps in the process or add other mediators in the process and so doing, creating further distance, Lord. Help us to remember that pure and simple truth that it is Jesus alone. It is Jesus alone that reconciles us to you. Let us draw close to Jesus in all that we do, all that we say. Let us feel and experience him as as tangible and real, not as a remnant from the past putting a plan in place, but as alive and that through that mediator, we live with him and with you for eternity. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Christ is with you. If you believe 
and ask for him to enter into your heart and to your life. He is with you as you leave this space, as you go outside these doors. Christ is with you at all places, in all times, in all spaces. So be awakened to that presence of Christ at all times. Amen. I gave you an awkward hug again. I never know how to do that.